What's up, everybody? It's Josh here and Nathan Simmons. And this is for New Eyes Only, a James Bond retrospective series where I have not seen any of the movies. No, not a single damn one. Well, I mean, more or less. Not more a single or less. damn one of them. <laughs> Yeah, we mentioned this on our announcement episode. I have seen a view to a kill, but don't remember what the plot is. I only know who's in it. <laughs> sure. And certain scenes that happen. So this is a series where we are going to go back in chronological order. We're going to watch yeah. all the Bond films. We're going to talk about them. Nathan is a big fan. Mm-hmm. I am a newbie. Don't know anything about these movies. So therefore, that's the conversation. We're just going to talk about what my first time watches were like uh-huh. for these movies and go from there. And we're going to try and have a lot of fun along the way. And boy, what a what a movie to watch for the first time in Year of Our Lord 2021. <laughs> uh, we, we're, of course, talking about 1962's Dr. No, mm-hmm. um, which was directed by uh, Terrence Young and stars Sean Connery as 007 himself. Bond. James Bond. Yes. Josh. <laughs> you know, it's weird right away, right off the top. Uh, Connery doesn't, hasn't quite developed into the Connery we know, you know, yeah. like yeah. it's, it's, he's young, he's hot and he doesn't have mush mouth yet. Uh, just off the top, off the top, before we kind of get into everything, what are your first impressions of of Dr. No? Well, I, I do want to say on our announcement episode and, and what yeah. we're going to uh, plan, we're going to do at the end of each of these episodes is, is we're going to, we're going to throw it over to me and I'm going to guess what the, what the plot line of the movie is. So right. for anybody who didn't listen to that announcement episode, my you gave a valiant uh, guess <laughs> was uh, James Bond <laughs> is unhappy uh-huh. with his appearance mm-hmm. and he goes to a plastic surgeon named Dr. No mm-hmm. to get his face tightened up and the doctor just continues to tell him no hence the name doctor no yeah yeah (laughs) so and uh are you were you surprised that that didn't happen in this film (laughs) you know there's doctors involved in this but not really uh the ones that i was thinking about james Uh, bond is in it (laughs) james bond is in it but there are no facelifts involved um and this was um this was interesting i will i will say this was an interesting (laughs) watch yeah uh, just because it's the start of a series, mm-hmm. uh, you don't really know what to expect and, and how everything, you know, everything has, has a beginning and usually the mm-hmm. beginning is a little bit of a rough start and then you kind of find your footing sure. probably, probably the exact way this podcast is going to go. <laughs> but, <laughs> sure. but, uh, this one was strange because, you know, I'm only, I'm, I'm only familiar with the tropes that are in other movies and like the yeah. spoofs of Bond and sort of what I've seen within the new Daniel Craig movies, because I have seen those. Those are the ones yeah. that I have seen and am fairly familiar with. Mm-hmm. But um, my biggest thing with watching those movies originally was, you know, these are great, great Bond movies. I, I like that they're modern, and therefore I don't have to deal with the the old aspect of the, th- of the older movies. Yeah. So, you know, we talked about this briefly on the announcement episode. I really didn't feel the need to go back and watch these movies, but... You know, being a lover of cinema and and wanting to have my education in cinema, <laughs> uh-huh. it was it was par for the course that I was going to end up watching these movies. And it just so happens that you are a big fan, and therefore yeah. a podcast was born. And um, it's it's funny, man, because older movies are hard for me. Sure. Um, you know, we we just talked about uh, Fistful of Dollars on the main show here at VHS Files. Mm-hmm. 
I had never seen that one. I've never seen any of the the Man with No Name trilogy movies. And it sparked a little bit of a controversy with Jason hates westerns. You know, he he grew up in Texas. He grew up with a family that kind of pushed those on him. So therefore... Oh, like, I get it. Watching yeah. a Western for him is like nails on a chalkboard. And going back and watching... Like, I hate spring break movies because I grew up in <laughs> Panama City Beach. Like, <laughs> Well, there's there's one quintessential spring break movie, Spring, spring Breakers. Breakers. Yep. <laughs> I like that one. But, okay. yeah, I mean, uh, watching Fistful of Dollars, like, I just, I kind of want to get that education. I want to know why Tarantino thinks these yeah. spaghetti Westerns are so good. And so, same same thing here. And... I, I kind of have to be able to look past the the elements of, you know, early 60s filmmaking. The limitations of budget and how yeah. pacing and filmmaking has changed, for yep. sure. And, and you um, know, the, the biggest thing that gets me with older movies, especially yeah. ones like this, is, like, wardrobe. And in, in the, the society we live in today, it's like... And we do live in a society, as the Joker always says. We do. <laughs> You know, people don't dress up in suits all the time, and people aren't as snooty looking in these as they are in these movies. Yeah. So it's hard to put yourself in in that sort of world. Mm. That is that's something that's a reason why on oh that's a scary movie. We pay a lot of attention to wardrobe mm-hmm. because especially when we're watching you know older flicks from like the sixties uh, and seventies, we're, we're we're just like fuck. I want I want all of those shoulder pads. I want all of the little <laughs> boot moments. Like they're there's some killer threads throughout the bond series and uh and, and it it starts it all starts here so before we kind of dive into the plot and and you know questions about all of that i guess i should try to uh summarize the movie in mm-hmm. 007 seconds or less nathan will do it will attempt to tell us the plot in seven seconds or less at the beginning well, of at least show. at least the elevator pitch <laughs> <laughs> so all right are you going to time me? I'm going to give you a countdown and we'll time you. Ready? Okay. Three, two, one. Following the assassination of a member of MI6, James Bond discovers a sinister plot against NASA orchestrated by Dr. No. Very good. Hell yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, um, when I watched it as a kid, didn't realize that Dr. No's genius plan was, I'm going to make NASA look dumb. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's like his big plan. Um, and, and I love something about a, a billionaire, like enigmatic, you know, super genius, just being real petty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's something. And I think, I think a lot of the things I've identified in this movie, I'm assuming are going to be tropes that continue throughout this entire series. Sure. Um, but I was surprised that we don't see or meet Dr. No until three quarters of the way through the movie. And he's in two scenes. Right. And uh, was surprisingly not very menacing to me. Um, Just I I enjoy Joseph Wiseman's performance. I will agree that he's not particularly scary, but I I think he's I like how arch he is. There's a very fun I his delivery, you know, uh, 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 the way he delivers his life very much like this mm-hmm. and I, there's something i quite enjoy about there's a bit where he says to bond unfortunately i misjudged you you are just a stupid policeman and i was like is he my favorite bond villain because, like, <laughs> <laughs> that, that line delivery is masterful 
Well, I want to get into just the initial viewing of this movie for me. Yeah. Number one, I put on the Blu-ray, and the Blu-ray mm-hmm. menu screen has nude <laughs> girls all over it. <laughs> EGI nude girls, weird, like, it. yeah, it's like you're entering, like, the horny, hornier version of The Matrix. Yeah, and, <laughs> and strange. funny enough, I mean, don't get me wrong, Bond has a couple of lovemaking quarrels in this film but it sure does a lot less of than what i was anticipating honestly yeah and to the point where like one of them was added in from the book uh miss taro is like not in the book at all and it's very much it's a weird cul-de-sac that the plot goes in to like get bond to hook up with another lady please oh forgive me I thought I was invited up here to admire the view. Uh, It's very strange, but it does lead to my favorite scene in the movie. It's so funny you mentioned the Blu-ray because I I put the Blu-ray on. That was one of the first things my girlfriend said was just like, why why are there like... Why are there like DreamWorks animated nude women on the cover or on the on the menu screen? I can understand silhouettes, but no, like these are like actual... That's that's the other thing that's going to blow your mind. Watching these um remastered there are things you were not supposed to see when this was you know a shot on film and yeah you know shown in theaters back in the 60s or on television you know in a tiny television there's some very surprising things that got past the censors because no one was ever supposed to see them right um i think i noticed and, an actual technical flaw in this movie watching oh, it yeah th- those pop up too for yeah. sure <laughs> um yeah, I mean, one of the first things you'll notice uh, when the movie starts, uh, I mean, what's incredible is how much of Bond was fully formed when this movie begins. You right. know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. with this movie, we get we get the classic gun barrel right mm-hmm. on top, um, which when you're watching on Blu-ray, particularly on a nice television or in 4K, um, you can tell that's not Sean Connery. <laughs> a, not Sean Connery. B, it really drove me crazy that they didn't center him in the barrel like oh sure because he does his little jump yeah Yeah. and 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 every every bond will kind of put their own spin on it connery doesn't do it for a few films really uh which is interesting that they just were like they couldn't be buggered to like film it at any point (laughs) but that's uh that's a stunt actor bob simmons doing that uh who is doing some incredible work in this movie and in several of the later films uh doing stunt coordination as well mm-hmm. i love the gun barrel but the weird thing about it is that blood pours down inside the barrel right <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a it's such a funny weird stylistic choice and i love it i i enjoy i enjoy that leading into you know, this sort of spacey, goofy art deco credit sequence. Mm-hmm. I mean, big sassy credits. There's no cold open. There's no like there's no song about Dr. No that plays over the credit. You know, you're you're so like with Bond movies, there's always the big theme. And this one's kind of like a weird little medley or like a uh an entracht. <laughs> yeah, that was surprising <laughs> yeah. to me is I was like, oh, I'm 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 expecting to hear some sort of a Bond song or Bond yeah. theme. And what I get, get is the theme. Three blind um, mice. But then you, yeah, you get the, you get the Bond theme, which was uh, written by Monty Norman. It was originally meant for uh, a musical. It was a, it's a song. It was originally a song called uh, Bad Sign, Good Sign, which was written for a, a, a musical that never got produced called A House for Mr. Bizwaz. Uh, 
and the original song was this guy singing about how he, he like the lyrics were i was born with this unlucky sneeze and what is worse i came in the wrong way round <laughs> it's literally about a guy being born like with bad luck under a bad sign and um it has this kind of very jaunty uh melody but the 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 melody of the song is and he monty norman was like i don't know can we use this for the movie because the producers wanted underneath the mango tree which we hear a thousand times yes. to be like the main theme of the movie um and john barry the composer was like i'll see what i can do with this and he jazzed it up and added strings and a surf guitar and that's how we get the immortal james bond theme I, i've been um, walking around singing it for the past three days <laughs> we you started doing it when we got on this call you were like bah, da, bah. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah and then we get some we get some uh some dance music and then a a a sort of reggaeton version of three blind mice mm -hmm. which leads what, us into our, our with three our blind scene. men walking around the streets of jamaica yeah supposedly <laughs> supposedly blind. blind men my favorite thing about that is that that then becomes a motif whenever those assassins show up so mm -hmm. there's a scene later on in the film where they like step out of the shadows and you hear Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> just like I'm like oh foreboding three blind mice <laughs> i love that so much i, I um, should I, I didn't look in the credits they probably have them listed as the three blind mice in the credits something somewhere. like that yeah. the, the jaded three blind mice <laughs> yeah uh, to, to reference uh silver linings playlist the um yeah it's 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 interesting because i remember watching this one as a kid and I don't know if this is interesting. It's just something that happened to me. Um, I remember watching this as a kid. And the first time I saw it, I knew a bunch of the Bond movies and I was waiting. I wanted that song. I was waiting for a theme song. Yeah. You know, uh, Dr. No, he won't let you do anything or what, you know, I don't know. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, something like that. Like I knew Goldfinger. I knew Live and Let Die, you know, and and I was just baffled. I remember asking my dad, I was like, why is it? like this i think that's exactly what i said and he was like look they didn't know what they were doing yet yeah <laughs> like, that was, yeah i mean it, genuinely like who was to know that this would be a you know 60 plus year franchise yeah i mean the uh, bond was not a cinematic icon at this point no, it was literally they, just let's see what happens with this thing <laughs> and there had been attempts to to bring bond to television and and bond was a well-known figure in uh, literature and the the re and it's funny because Doctor No is the fourth book in the series. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's uh, it, it's not uh, sorry the sixth novel in the series. Wow. It is uh, yeah, and, and but it was the one that had like the least objectionable content, and that the producers thought that they could like bring in on a budget. This movie only cost a million dollars. Yeah, um, I, I noticed that wild. Um, and so, but it was, it was this thing where they were like, okay, well, this is the one that we can kind of shoot it in Jamaica on the cheap. And uh, there's not a ton of big set pieces. It's more intrigue and dialogue. Um, but that's why we have um, scenes like Bond getting admonished for carrying the wrong gun, which was a <laughs> plot point carried over from the previous book. Okay, uh, I was wondering about that because this movie, you know, kicks off. I mean, you know, we kind of start our plot right away. I was a little, yeah. like, taken aback by how quickly they just start gunning people down and shit just starts oh, yeah. happening Strangways in this movie. is dead by, like, scene two, and then mm -hmm. we cut to, we get to see, 
we cut to the 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 switchboard from the John Wick films where they're I love the I love the false front the book false front that they've got behind and all that yeah there's some really fun like uh, DIY spycraft kind of stuff here Mm -hmm. where you're just like oh of of course the spy would always have fake books yeah Um, and uh, and I you know the 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 news travels fast and so someone is sent to find James Bond at Le Cirque and I mean this introduction is incredible yeah you know, i mean this we, we is get... this is what i think of when i think of like introduction to james bond like this movie mm-hmm. pretty much encapsulates what i would think an introduction to james bond should be yes i mean he looks so cool we're introduced to sylvia trench mm-hmm. and uh she it's interesting to me that the the first bond james bond is him kind of teasing her i admire your courage miss uh... trench Sylvia Trench, I admire your luck, Mr. Bond. James Bond. Mm-hmm. Because that's how she introduces herself as Trench, Sylvia Trench. Yep. And and it supposedly, like, he did several takes of this scene, and it just wasn't working. Every, he was just, you know, because he was just answering her. And then finally, he was like, what if I light a cigarette in the middle of it? Like, I don't care that I'm answering her. Right. And I'm just like, that is the right instinct because it's the coolest anyone's ever looked. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, I just wanted to notate about, you know, Sean Connery here. I mean, yes, this is, I, I believe, one of his first or his first feature film. It's early. I mean, he had done, um, oh, shoot, what's that movie called? Darby O'Gill and the Little People. And then he, but he was mostly known for playing, like, he wasn't like, like super manly men and stuff to the point where like when he came to his audition to meet with the producers for the first time, he was wearing like his clothes were wrinkled. His hair wasn't made, mm-hmm. but he like, he like, you know, impressed them with just like his firm handshake and his, you know, right. his attitude, which is, I guess is just, you know, how business was done at right. the time. Um, because like he, he also wasn't even like the first, second or third choice for the producers either. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the first choice was Cary Grant, which I can't, you know, I mean, I, I can imagine it for sure, but like, I, it's so hard, you know, when you're dealing with, uh, you know, history, you know right, what I mean? Right. Like, this is, well, it's I mean, impossible to think of this movie with anyone else. Watching uh, uh, Hitchcock's, uh, shit, what's the one with Cary Grant? Uh, the, the, North the by ba- Northwest? Yeah, North by Northwest is basically yeah. a Bond movie. Um, I mean, it, yeah, to the point where there's a set piece in the next movie that is very North by Northwest. Ah, okay. Well, I have that yeah. to look forward to. Yeah. Um, I, I was just a little taken aback by really how young he looks, uh, Sean Connery looks in this He's movie. never looked this young. No, um, and, and I was surprised to find out he was in his 30s when he did this, too. Yes, I know. Yeah. Uh, and, but also already wearing a toupee. Um, which like get the, those get progressively, uh, less impressive as the series goes on. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah. And he, he's, it's, it's odd because we're so used to these movies kicking off with an act. Well, I am used to these movies kicking off with an action sequence, you know, Mm -hmm. especially if you're more familiar with the Craigs, you're like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Why isn't he parkouring anywhere? (laughs) I'm I'm always looking for the parkour in James Bond movies. Why isn't he driving a crane into a train? Um, yeah, no, I, I, but it's, it's very, um, it's it's very quiet, very insistent. And it's just kind of carried by the charismas of the charisma of these actors. And, and, and thank God, because as I mentioned, um, on silver linings playlist, 
I don't know how any card games are played. So like, I don't know how Baccarat works. Yeah. I know I've read Casino Royale, which explains the rules and I still can't follow it, mm-hmm. but I'm just so, uh, I'm so drawn in by, uh, by, by, by Bond, by his, like his, just his cool, calm and collected demeanor. And, and by Sylvia Trench, Eunice Grace Gason, um, her perpetually cocked eyebrow. She just looks, everyone in the scene just looks so cool. Yeah. And I, I just want to be in that room and also not look at or speak to anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, my first response to her was like, oh, hello. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, oh, and of course that's, that's a, a trope that's going to continue out throughout all of these yeah. movies. Um, but yeah, I was very surprised to find her being, sort of playful with him and not really mm-hmm. being that sort of, Oh, Mr. Bond, you know, that kind of thing. You know, yeah. we've, we've got an introduction to a really stern female at the beginning of this. Unfortunately, she does not go through the entire movie, but right. You know, I was surprised. And, and she's to... an original, original character for mm-hmm. the film as well. Like just uh, serves to, to introduce Bond and, and, um, she she's the reason that we kind of we we get that great introduction and we get the idea that he's great with the ladies and uh and, but it, yeah it is it is interesting like she's she makes such a huge impression for sh- such a short amount of screen time yeah. she's very assertive very tough as nails I think a lot of that you know we we'd, we'll we'll see characters like that again not as often as I would like um, but she's she's fantastic and. Yeah. Uh, I but like yeah from from there we are we're we're whisked away to I mean again fully formed James Bond tropes Bond comes into MI6 he flirts with money penny a little bit then he has to you know talk to M who admonishes him on some case we haven't gotten to see mm-hmm. you know um yeah that was that was the stuff that I was a little you know uh, just coming into this first time, you know, yeah. I, uh, with with the with the Craig movies, uh, Money Penny was not introduced until I believe Inspector Skyfall or Skyfall, Skyfall? was it Skyfall? Yeah, she's and, not um, named until the very end. Like she's referred to as Eve throughout mm-hmm. that that movie until until the last scene. Yeah. So uh, just just from that notion, I was surprised mm-hmm. that Money Penny was introduced in the first movie here. Yeah, and then yeah, my my next note was um, they're giving him shit for uh, not having a good enough gun. <laughs> so so the the backstory here is in from Russia with Love the novel. He's almost killed when he can't get his get to his beretta in time like mm-hmm. it doesn't it like hangs up in his holster and jams and and then he's poisoned and so that's that's what m is referring to kind of in this scene like in in the dr no novel it opens with bond uh, uh recovering from his last adventure and being told you can't carry this gun anymore and there's a really funny true story behind this um a guy named jeffrey boothroyd a major uh, Major Jeffrey Boothroyd sent a letter to Ian Fleming after reading his novels and said, essentially, um, cracking good stuff, but uh, <laughs> Bond simply would not use a Beretta. Um, there's this incredible uh, behind the scenes clip on the Blu ray. Uh, I'm not James Bond, he's a fictitious character, as so many are in Fleming's books. Uh, excepting one, a Geoffrey Boothroyd, a Scotsman who lives in Glasgow, whose hobby is guns. My name's Geoffrey Boothroyd. I'm not Major Boothroyd, but I do share with the Major an interest in firearms. 
this guy sent a letter to Ian Fleming, said Bond wouldn't use this gun. He also wouldn't use a chamois leather holster. It would get snagged in the holster all the time. It'd be like trying to, you know, wrap your gun up in a handkerchief and then unroll it before you can fire it. Right. Um, and there's this, there's this great special feature where he like does a quick draw to the camera and fires and like he's he's it's wild but essentially um Fleming got this letter and was like fair play okay and he he not only changed Bond's gun in the books because of this letter Mm -hmm. but he then named Q the armorer after him nice Uh, and so yeah it's it's wild guys and trust me if you send us hate mail uh we're we're not gonna name our podcast after you but i I do think that it's kind of incredible that he like changed pop culture history but with a with an um actually yeah yeah that's pretty funny (laughs) (laughs) i love it um but yeah that's that's why we get this like protracted scene of explaining why one gun is better than the other it's very it's very weird though to watch it like out of context yeah um because it, yeah, it does cause... feel like we're, we're getting bonds like bonds supposed to be cool and on top of everything and all this scene kind of does is show he's fucked up in the last mission uh-huh. and uh but it also shows that he's not always cool with taking orders like he's a little bit of a scamp yep because m has to get his gun back from him and tell him to stop flirting with money penny mm-hmm. yep <laughs> And yeah, I mean, that was what I was a little like taken aback by watching it. I was like, yeah, I just think Bond is this cool special spy agent guy. And, mm-hmm. and you've got him just sort of belittling him <laughs> in this entire scene. And, and, I, uh, and I love Bernard Lee as him. He's just so he was cast the day before they started filming. Wow. And, and he's just he's called uh, like cool as a cucumber. Like mm-hmm. he is he there's not a doubt for a second that one, he's in charge and two, everyone respects him yeah like you know even when bond's disagreeing with them it's very much a yes sir all mm-hmm. right i'll take care of it thank you thank you for you know giving me a better gun i guess right um yeah it's uh it, it is wild like that's kind of our you know as the you know one of the tropes of the bond movies is the arm you know the arming up montage or whatever getting you know getting the new gadgets and this this is this is his gadget scene is you need to stop using a shitty gun. <laughs> yeah. That was what I was most surprised by in this one was the lack of gadgets. Yeah. You know, he gets the the radiation uh what is it called? The um, the Geiger counter. Yeah, he gets the Geiger counter uh, sent over from MI6, but mm-hmm. I was surprised to see that he doesn't have uh, a cool transforming car. You get no right. ejector seat in this one. So right. uh this one is I would say just just from a first time perspective, very grounded. yeah, very much just a basic run of the mill spy movie. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I it, think that there's something to that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of like bond figuring things out through conversation and mm-hmm. not with his fists. He doesn't kill anyone until uh, an hour into the movie. Right. Uh, you know, when he, when he shoots dent, which we'll, we'll get there. Cause that's, I think the best scene in the movie, but uh <laughs> Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, there's also the scene in the uh, when they're on Crab. Was it? Is it Crab Island? Crab, or Key. Crab Key. And um, you know he has to take out one of the mercenaries that's that's chasing him in the in the uh, and in the cuts river away before the stab. Yeah. And then you've got yeah. you've got Honey uh, kind of reacting to that, and she yeah. says, you know, why'd you do that? And he said, I had to. You know, and and yeah. that scene kind of plays a little like, oh, like it, it's it kind of takes you back there for a second. Sure, there's a savagery to the deaths, and there's a there's a there's a reluctance to it. Like this, in stark contrast to Ian Fleming's Bond, 
at least in this first film, first couple movies, Bond really doesn't seem to enjoy killing. Yeah. Except for that first one. That his yeah. first on-screen kill is is dark. It's brutal. And yeah, it's, because uh, he has like almost no emotion to it. He is sitting cross-legged in yeah. a position and is just literally like almost doesn't even flinch when he fires the gun. It's just boom. And then when Dent is on his stomach, he shoots him again. Mm -hmm. He shoots him in the back. Like he shoots a man that's down to make sure he stays down. Right. And it's, it's upsetting. Like it's wild. And in context with the rest of the movie, I mean, Bond, you know, we've, we've already said this many times, like Bond just comes across as this cool, collect, calm, like, I know what I'm doing. Leave me alone. Let me do my job. I kind of got the sense in this one that he didn't have all the answers. He didn't know what to do in certain scenarios. And, I mean, even um, when he gets ki- even when he gets taken by Doctor No, he's just kind of bluffing his way into letting letting the villain tell him what's up. And yeah. Doctor No is more than happy to do it because he's a megalomaniac, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, we uh, Bond jets to uh, to to Jamaica to to check out uh, the you know what happened to Strangways. He's picked up at the airport uh, by a secret, you know, a, a, a undercover villain. Mm-hmm. Um. And they're tailed by the one and only Felix Leiter, played by Jack Lord mm-hmm. uh, from Hawaii Five-0, um, <laughs> uh, wearing the wildest sunglasses I've ever seen in my life. Um, I, I like the way they set this up, though, because you don't really mm-hmm. know who's to be trusted. Yeah, I imagine this is going to be the theme throughout all these movies is like mm-hmm. who who is on Bond's side and who's not. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly was kind of waiting for Felix to turn on Bond throughout this entire movie, which never happens. Yeah. Well, cause he's got that very like, you know, uh, how do I know I can trust you? I mean, the first time he really gets introduced to Felix is when, you know, Quarles got a knife on him. Felix pulls a gun on him and it mm-hmm. takes a minute before they're able to kind of sort everything out. Um, but I, you know, we get our first great one liner of the movie when that assassin eats a cyanide pill uh, you know, hidden in a in a cigarette and dies, Bond drives him to the consulate. <laughs> Sergeant, make sure he doesn't get away. <laughs> and and then walks inside. And it's funny, like, uh, it's so casual with a dead body. Like, yes. <laughs> Which is so... funny because we were just talking about how I think this Bond's a very honorable man. And then right. we're like, no, he doesn't <laughs> give a shit about human life. <laughs> And it's I brought up fistful of dollars at the beginning of this, and the, like there's yeah. a scene in that where they literally are just using dead soldier bodies to bait and switch someone in that movie. So it's yeah. like you guys have no regard for these dead people. Well, you know and, what's interesting? There was a like Ian Fleming would draft up plans for British naval intelligence during during the war, and he one of his plans was like attach fake uh he was like attach fake plans to a corpse and leave it floating in the ocean so that when the enemy found it we could draw them into a trap and it was like it was it was something called like like the name of the document was suggestion not a very nice one or something (laughs) like that so like this is the mind that's creating bond which is very much like you know what? Like, if if you're after me, I don't. I immediately don't care about you anymore. Yeah. Like, I I think Bond Bond does try to help people, but the second he can't trust them, and this will carry on through every movie up till No Time to Die. The mm-hmm. second Bond thinks that his trust has been uh, 
uh, swayed in any way or betrayed in any way, he's done with you. Yeah. Whether that means you're a dead man or he's going to leave you behind, you know, <laughs> that, that, that depends on what you do next. You well, know? Bond's trying to figure out what happened and try to do his detective work here. And sure. you've got this photographer walking around the club and taking pictures and he, he sees her out of the corner of his eye. So he decides to address that and, and deal with that situation. Yeah. This is a weird scene because she sort of comes out of nowhere. Like I understand. Oh, that's, um, that's Annabelle Chung. Yeah, the Annabelle storyline doesn't really go anywhere. Well, that um, was one thing that I am sort of familiar with with Bond movies, and, and it's because I saw it in uh, A View to a Kill. He is not selective with his mm. with, with his women. Like, uh, he will go after anyone and everyone. And I kind yeah. of expected that, like, the photographer girl here to sort of well, be that other background, secondary bond girl there's always yeah in mo in many of the movies there is like a secondary love interest or just someone he cozies up to to get information which is right. the case with miss taro later yeah um but yeah it is it is interesting like they do they do set this kind of you know subplot in motion but it that doesn't it doesn't lead to much right um other than to show that he's not afraid to get his hands dirty and right. that he you know it, it also lead it, you know um drags out the three blind mice again mm -hmm. um but yeah it, it is a it's an odd little odd little side story that that doesn't really add up a ton it's one of the things coral uh yeah when whenever he meets coral and they kind of have a nice little budding friendship i was also waiting for coral to turn on him at some point in the movie sure. which never happens it doesn't help that he's they're at odds originally because he doesn't know if coral is a suspect coral doesn't know if he's working for doc if bond is working for doctor no um and these are the kinds of like this is the kind of shit I love in espionage stories, mm -hmm. you know, like we're, you know, who can you trust? Who is on the side of the angels? Who's playing the long game? Who's playing a double game? Right. Um, and, and there's a lot of that. This movie, while having, I think, a very straightforward plot, uh, mm -hmm. especially com compared to several of the later Bond movies, this one is very much um, a lot of the conflict comes from who knows what they're talking about when you know right. like uh, it, 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 it's it's either can dent be trusted you know harvey dent can he be trusted <laughs> um, can, can dent be trusted can coral be trusted what's felix's deal is bond even going to be allowed to make the arrest if there is an arrest right why do people think there's a dragon on the island yeah uh, that was know? that was pretty odd from the get-go i was like okay dragons already so this yeah. is kind of weird <laughs> but uh you know when our, our first introduction to coral here and the yeah. the quarrel they have yeah. uh he he, he has a uh, pus fuller come in and, and, and help. Yeah. And he's, he's like, yeah. you don't want to mess with pus fuller. He wrestles alligators. And I love that. I, I yeah. was, I was confused because, and this is, this is kind of weird, but like I at first thought that these guys were the assassins in the beginning of the film that had, oh, okay. that had taken out strange way. Like, like they had put on like a lot of like, yeah. And like, especially like, Puss Fuller. Cause like, I thought, I thought he was one of the ones that gunned down the secretary yeah. in, in strange ways, uh, office. Yeah. But on, upon second watch, I was like, Oh, it's not, they just kind of look similar, but yeah, yeah. So I was a bit confused as to what was going on there. If these guys were actually people that he could trust or people that were going to double cross him. Sure. And that's, I think that's really the biggest thing I have going into these movies is I'm always mm -hmm. expecting there, there's there's like three things you expect coming into a Bond movie. Uh, good theme music, 
Someone's uh-huh. going to turn on Bond at some point uh-huh. and a variety of Bond girls. <laughs> we get, well, one out of three ain't bad. You know what? Like, I, <laughs> I, I get it. Like, it is in a lot of ways this movie, to me, is, is very much proto-Bond. I think there's a lot of stuff that works, but it's not fully formed yet. Like, they're still yeah. figuring it out. I, I, think, I think the series really comes into its own with the second one for better or for worse there's some really dicey stuff in from russia with love but uh but but for it's it's a masterpiece in my opinion like i i'm i'm really excited to get to that one because i feel like you know um a lot of the 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 kind of misgivings or like uh things that you're on the fence about will be fleshed out further and feel a little bit better in the second one um and also like my biggest issue with this movie um it it just comes down to pacing yeah Um, and i know that that a lot of that has to do with where filmmaking was at at Mm -hmm. the time and by the way i'm drinking a red bull with smirnoff which (laughs) we get to see prominently displayed in several scenes (laughs) yeah smirnoff and red stripe uh the the drinks of champions i love Um, when the i love when the people are giving him the drinks uh, in dr no's lair and they're like they they describe the drink to him and he's like vodka Vodka. like he has to confirm (laughs) yeah 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 uh which by the way they don't they don't quite get the order correct in this movie one of the guys goes uh mixed like you said sir and not stirred Mm -hmm. um yep but like there's so many there's so many scenes in this movie that feel like we're watching um like an ad for a timeshare like or yeah. you know like there's a lot of travel loggy kind of stuff mm-hmm. a lot of like shot and which by the way this movie looks gorgeous yes. like the fact that the cinematography is this good on a one million dollar budget in 1962 is insane yeah uh, this movie is absolutely beautiful and a lot of that is helped by the fact that they're shooting in natural lighting mm-hmm. and on in real places like it's it's something you forget about when most of the blockbusters we get now are shot on green screens where yep. it's just like this is this is absolutely beautiful and cannot be faked um right. But now there there are some rear projection things that you will notice. Of, there's a couple of rear projection bits uh, and a couple of matte paintings. Sorry, there's a couple of matte paintings that like really show up on the on the Blu-ray. Yeah. Um. But for, by and large, I think this movie looks great, and we but we do get a lot of establishing shots and a lot of scenes of Bond checking into a hotel, mm-hmm. uh, look looking for his mail, renting yep. a car. Uh, now I I like when when he's entering his hotel room, he's looking around the room, he's prepping the room. I love the the little added stuff little of him putting the, the hair on the door and the, love the that. and dusting this the the suitcase yes. so he'll know if anybody's been in there. So that like that's the stuff I don't mind seeing. But yeah, when he's nope. checking into the hotel and I don't really need to see him flirting with the girl at the front counter and all of the stuff that goes into all of that. Like oh, yeah, the, the pacing dude, here is a bit off. Receptionists love james bond yeah that is that is a that might as well be a trope along with the gadgets is just him like flirting with the lady at the desk i (laughs) (laughs) yep which guys don't do that they're paid to be there not to not to deal with you flirting with them but still it's it's very fun to watch bond do it (laughs) but i love how all of the conversations he has with the with the the ladies in this always ends yeah. up being something, you know, sexual innuendo. Uh, I wrote down a few things with uh, who is the but lady, but it's still at least a little bit 
it's tame uh, here it's tame here it's not like like later on pierce brosnan might as well be like so what if i put it on the counter like, <laughs> you know, like it's ridiculous well i mean i'm jumping ahead a bit but at the end of this whenever they get away from dr no's hideout he's you know they're in the boat and he says well we can swim or and i was like or oh, we could swim or fuck huh that's how yeah, this is gonna be that's the plan all right <laughs> And uh, yes, um, but I mean, you know, when even when he's with Money Penny and uh, yeah. the young lady at the beginning of the movie, like all of these just little innuendos, and I, you know, right here I'm digging it. We'll see where it goes throughout the series, but it gets it gets rough. There's some times <laughs> where it gets rough. Like weirdly enough, this is Bond at his most restrained until yeah. maybe the Timothy Dalton era. You know, we get like Bond gets directions to Miss Taro's villa or mm-hmm. her her little uh, home, uh, and we get to watch him drive there in real time. Um, <laughs> this is and... where I really got an Austin Powers vibe. Oh, for sure, with the rear projection, <laughs> the rear projection, the car chase, the car going yeah. off the cliff, the one-liner it's... afterwards. That sort of thing could get a man fired. <laughs> we watch it go all the way down the cliff yep. and then it explodes and the construction worker says like oh what happened and he goes i think they were on their way to a funeral <laughs> which is like not <laughs> even clever <laughs> yeah but the, but the construction worker like has this look on his face like damn like that sucks <laughs> yeah. um, which by the way uh almost every ancillary character in this movie is dubbed. And that is something you will find in a lot of these because they're either using uh, local talent mm-hmm. or, or they just couldn't get the record. Like they couldn't get the sound on the day, yeah. you know, cause they're either they're filming outside or, or what have you. And so that's why you get a lot of like these, these weird kind of jarring scenes where like uh you know uh, 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 this jamaican guy has a very clearly like deep bellowing british man's voice like yeah. it's so you know and, and it it kind of comes to a head in um you only live twice where multiple characters seem to have the same voice like, yeah. it's very, it's very <laughs> odd um, well that's something yeah. that happens within the, like the spaghetti westerns too because again like this full of dollars like that's one re- well, one reason oh, that jason has trouble watching movies like that is because all of the dialogue in those is dubbed i think a lot of that's charming i, yeah. I actually for some reason it doesn't bother me with those uh well me being the old fart that i am i watch pretty much everything with subtitles on now just oh, there you go but yeah i mean as far as dialogue i mean in, in most movies now i have tr- so mm. much trouble understanding what people are saying half the time because right. either the mix is bad or there's just a lot of people talking and I, sure. I've, I've missed like important plot points in movies because I just don't know what the hell they're saying. Right. So that's led to me actually turning on subtitles. My wife hates it. She hates reading movies. But- I, I'm very picky. It depends on, it depends on what kind of movie I'm watching. Sometimes if I'm watching something with really thick accent, like I had to watch broad church with all with subtitles the whole yeah. time because I, I'm I'm like I can't I half of these Welsh accents I can't follow mm-hmm. and and even David Tennant's accent like I was having trouble with and um and with uh most Christopher Nolan movies now because mm-hmm. I, the man refuses to mix his movies properly right it's 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 something about this podcast man we tend to rag on nolan here we love his movies but for some reason too. we continue to rag on nolan <laughs> i love christopher nolan but like damn dude like 
<laughs> meet the audience halfway at right. some point in some ways. And that um, was, uh, you know, Jenny and I just did our, our uh, we watched Dune uh, when it came oh, out. Sure. And, mm-hmm. you know, we watched it, you know, in a dark room. We Unfortunately, yeah. we weren't able to go to the theater to see it. But, uh, you know, dark room, nice mood, setting, everything. And, like, I just, because I couldn't, couldn't hear what they were saying half the time or make out what yeah. the dialogue was. I was lost. Yeah. And I still uh, haven't seen it. And well, I've watched half of it now with, with subtitles on and I'm, huh. I'm following it much better. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, we, you know what? We skipped over the, the spider, the attempted murder by spider. Yes. What did you think of that? It, it was comical for me just <laughs> sure. simply because, you know, I mean, it's, it's a big ass spider. I mean, he could have knocked sure. that thing off of him about seven times, uh-huh. but my favorite part of that scene is the musical cues. I laughed pretty out good. loud. I thought that That's was hilarious. Yeah, so the, the way they, so Connery is deathly afraid of spiders. And the ah. way that they got that shot was they put a, they put a glass, like a glass sheet over uh-huh. him and then laid him on a bed that was at an angle, like that he was kind of like strapped into uh-huh. so that they could have the spider crawl its way up and look like it was on him. And then, then they they brought in the a stunt man to have like the close up shots of it like so all the close up stuff is not Sean Connery, not Connery. wow no. okay because I, I did not know that at the time they they couldn't defang it or something they were just like we can't like so yeah there's there's a lot of weird little things like that like apparently there was supposed to be a scene where um there's like a, a they get attacked by a bunch of crabs but the crabs uh were shipped in from overseas and frozen so that they barely moved when it was like time to <laughs> unleash them on honey um it reminds yeah, me of like, the of the scene where the crab is walking in front of coral after the 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 coast guard for crab sure. crab key or whatever they are starts yeah. firing on them oh, i was yeah. like what is this random crab just walking across the little scene? mad little crab <laughs> um but yeah, so I, I love I love the 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 confrontation with Miss Taro because he there's so much scary tension in this scene. I mm-hmm. think the scene's done really well. When he walks in with the towel uh-huh. and you think like God, he's about to torture this person. Like mm-hmm. that's that's what's about. And then he just he just kind of like it's it's almost like he either he's doing it to scare her or to scare the audience. Either way it's working. Yeah. Um and uh he waits until after she has slept with him to reveal, I'm having you arrested, which is. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he, 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 he disguises it pretty well because he makes the call yes. and he says, I just need a car. I need a car. Yeah. And then they show up what's and your, it's. What's your address? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, his his story behind, oh, where, where's your car? Oh, it didn't start. And she goes, that explains it. Like, all of that's yeah, real yeah. smart. I like that. But, yeah. you know, the, the main thing I'm thinking in this scene is, okay, well, you failed to have me killed. So now you have to fuck me. <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 uh, I will say it's not, it's not his diciest moment, but it's, uh, it's not a good look. It's yeah. Not a good look for James Bond. And that's what I mean by him being dialed into like uh knowing what he needs to do to get things out of people. But like in the, like this scene, right. and like you said, it, does, in the- it is it is a, it is spycraft. I mean, they they are like they are literally using each other. Uh-huh. Um and this was based on some real life shit that Ian Fleming uh, was privy to. So like there's <laughs> there's a lot of there was a lot of weird um, there's a lot of weird stuff during the war with people, uh, 
quite literally sleeping with the enemy to get yeah. information. Yeah. Uh, so it's, but it is, it is, uh, it is, it's a, it's a, it's a weird and problematic moment when James Bond uh, knows the truth and still goes along with it. It's, yeah. it's kind of, it's an odd, it's an odd scene. And and um, I seem to remember from a view to a kill that he sleeps with, um, Grace Jones character at one yes. point in that, which she is a villain, or, you know, she is uh, sure. the sidekick to Christopher Walken's villain in that one. And in, there's an incredible behind the scenes story about that scene that uh, we'll get to in like a year and a half. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where I, I wrote a note here. I was like, is this where, you know, we get the trope within the bond series of he's going to, he's going to, uh, he's going to bed any of the women that he wants to, whether they're good or bad. Yeah, no. Bond likes a Bond likes a Bond likes a villainess. You know it, mm -hmm. that that is definitely something that will come back. Um, it's not always done in such a um, transactionary, uh, cold manner. Uh, yeah. But it does. It it definitely is one of the elements of these earlier movies that feels a little ickier now, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, but luckily, it is followed by my favorite scene in the movie, which is when he interrogates Dent about mm -hmm. uh, his involvement with Dr. No and uh, my, my favorite line in the film. Who are you working for, Professor? Well, you might as well know as you want to live to use the information. I'm working for... Mr. Smith and Wesson. And you've had your six. Yeah. And he kills him. It's um, cold, man. It's cold it's as Bond's, hell. It's Bond's first kill yeah. on, on screen, which is, and it's memorable. It's controversial among, uh, it's controversial among filmgoers and critics at the time. And, and it's still one that people are kind of like back and forth on if this is like what you want out of the character. But See, I, I think I, it's. I didn't know there was so much controversy surrounding Ian Fleming and the Bond books and all of that. Yeah. This is all information that I'm getting as we're doing this he show. Was, he was and, an interesting fellow um, with some uh, indefensible opinions on people of color and mm -hmm. and women. And, uh, you know, you can, you can justify, or not justify, but you can try to write things off as ignorance of the times all you want. But there are things that, like, even back then, people were like, come on, Ian. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And one thing I found was, you know, the, the novel was was criticized in Britain, and it says, Paul Johnson of the New Statesman dismissed oh, yes. the book as one of sex snobbery and sadism. Yeah. Bond was seen as a, as a sadistic human being i mean there were uh when when casino royale came out the, there were people who who wrote it off as you know nothing more than a, a disgusting power fantasy full of violence i mean and to be fair that is a book where a guy you know uh gets his balls beaten with a carpet beater for about <laughs> you know 15 pages but yeah. like uh yeah i i i can also see it being uh, very difficult for sensibilities of the time to 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 handle, and even now, like I I've read these books, and there's there's things where I was I wish I, I was like I wish you had written that line of dialogue in any other way, or yeah. you know, spe yeah. specifically and especially uh, you only live twice and uh, live and let die. Uh, the the books have some some passages that I I cannot I can't defend in any way. I I've I'm glad I read them as a time capsule, but it's not something that I yeah. uh, 
I'm particularly enthused by. Yeah, um, I mean that's a, that's a hard thing for us to face in this day and age, especially in, in the in the culture that we are in now. You know, sure. when I when I was young, um, you know, the LGBTQ community was not was not uh, accepted. I mean, hardly at all. Sure. And, you know, we've come a long way, you know, we still have a long ways to go. Yeah. Um, but you know, where we are now compared to where, you know, with, especially with these movies, I mean, this movie came out 20 years before I was born. Um, so just seeing, you know, having to, to, to realize that entertainment used to be within a certain frame of, of thinking. And well, yeah, I, it's like, I was reading this interview with, um, the screenwriters of uh, the Bill and Ted movies and, and, and Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter. And they were talking about how, you know, if they could, if they actually had a time machine, the one thing they'd fix is the, you know, the, the homophobic slur in the original Bill and Ted, because yeah. it's a, uh, it's, you know, it's something that they're just like, this is the antithesis of what these loving, you know, sweetheart characters is like, yeah. it's such a, it's a, you know, and it, um, that being said, I I don't know that Ian Fleming would do anything differently now. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, as I mentioned in our little introductory episode, uh, one of the joys of the Bond series for me is that I I feel like there are major elements in storytelling that have um, that have evolved with the times. There are certain things that uh, will always be problematic about James Bond as a, as a sort of wish fulfillment character, but mm -hmm. in, in terms of, uh, his humanity and, and the way that he, uh, you know, treats, treats the, the little guy and the way that the, the treatment of women in yeah. these films, uh, evolves over time, the treatment of, uh, of the, you know, I, I, it will be one of the things that I'm most looking forward to in the series is seeing that growth um, as, yeah. as we go through the movies, because like there are, there are some very difficult conversations yeah. uh, to have and certain things that I, you know, I, that are best left. There are things that are best left as well. They didn't know any better. And there are other things that we should point out and say they should have known better. Yeah. You know? yeah. And, uh, and I, 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 I know we'll come across some, especially in these early goings. Yeah. I mean, that was really what I was the most surprised by watching this one is I felt this one was tame in a lot of those regards. Um, it is. Is, there, is there problems with some of the things here? Some of the situations? Sure. Um, yeah. the, the, the Mrs. Taro scene is, is problematic. Some of the way some but of the some people of are treated that, in this is crazy. Some of that I do think comes from a place of the spy game is ugly. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and I, I don't think that it's necessarily in this film, at least, uh, as, as problematic or outright offensive as, as it, as it, can be and as it actually is in the novel i mean the yeah the the novel is a the novel version of dr no is more or less fu manchu like he is a yellow scare type character mm -hmm. and the film softens that a bit yeah uh it's it's not great that uh dr no is still played by a white guy mm -hmm. um but uh, there, there are changes made to the character's background to try to make that work a little bit better. Um, but it's <laughs> Which, still not, it's not the greatest uh, example of, uh, uh, of uh, you know, colorblind casting I've yeah. ever seen. <laughs> well, in that reveal that you, you, know, you hear about Dr. No's background, I just kept getting flashes of a Ren Ishii from Kill Bill. The Yakuza guys there are like, we don't want her here. She's not part of this. And, sure. you know. The price you pay 
for bringing up either my Chinese or American heritage as a negative is. I collect your fucking head. That was the kind of the feel that I was getting when we got the introduction to Dr. No here. Sure. Um, the other thing that I was a bit surprised by in this movie, I thought this was going to come a little later in the Bond series, was our introduction to Honey Rider. With her oh, coming out on the, the beach the, and the shot of Ursula Andress. I mean, yeah. genuinely one of the most iconic shots in cinema. Yep. Uh, is is the introduction of Honey Ryder, um, who is, in theory, a great character. <laughs> I was having a little <laughs> bit of trouble as to why she was even there. Yeah, she's she's a very, I think she's a compelling character in the novel. Um, the the movie really the only the only thing you really get you know the only things you get that really kind of color her character are the um, you know her her backstory of killing a man who assaulted her mm-hmm. uh, and which I I love that little exchange uh, it also you get a little bit of a disconnect from her because Ursula Andress is also dubbed mm-hmm. um, yeah so you do get uh, there, there, that kind of puts you, gives you a little bit of distance between her and her emotionality but. Uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. It does feel like we're she's introduced so that Bond has a lady companion for the final act, and even yeah. then, she kind of disappears into the background for a little bit. Right. Uh, um, but for all intents and purposes, she is the prototypical Bond girl. You know, right. like she's she's the bombshell who literally comes out of the waves holding shells. (laughs) (laughs) That's what got me too. was just the whole idea of her. She's there collecting shells. I can sell these for $50 in Miami. $50. Yeah. It's it's like, Um, okay, you do not realize what kind of shit you've just walked into (laughs) taking shells off this Island. She also re uh, so in the book, she was, she was collecting the shells to sell, to buy her freedom after killing the, the guy who assaulted her see that uh, makes more sense which i love i think that's a that's a really cool story uh or you know an interesting motivation for her that's not here um i don't love stories that have that that uh that use assault as a motivation for yeah. a character yeah um but i i do think that you lose a lot of a lot of her agency in the film version there's a lot of her just kind of you know it, it for a little while it's her and quarrel just kind of relying on bond to do everything mm-hmm. which 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 feels very reductive for their characters especially quarrel who up until this point has been a guy who will pull a knife on a motherfucker yeah and <laughs> take him out to sea and dump them like <laughs> and and that was really why why i was a bit surprised yeah like when we when we finally meet this an infamous dragon that everyone's talking about which yeah. is a a giant a tank, tank. <laughs> yeah with a flamethrower with a flamethrower that flamethrower takes quarrel i mean fries his ass on screen on screen that, that is <laughs> wild i always forget and it's a good fire stunt too yeah uh, or or at least a very good dummy like i don't know mm-hmm. how how they do it but it's it's really it's jarring and it's still like upsetting even today, I think. Yeah, I mean, well, just the, the, the stunt itself is jarring, but, like, yeah. the fact that, you know, again, like, I, I was expecting Coral to at some point turn on Bond, but yeah. all the way up until the point where he is set on fire, <laughs> he he has been nothing but a good sidekick for him. And, and it's, He's been it's, a great it's a, sidekick. He's been very capable. And then the second they get on the island, like, Bond has to tell him to hide from yeah. someone shooting at him. It's very, yeah, it's very uh, jarring. 
Um, might have something to do with all the rum he was drinking because he was chugging. He was chugging lugging on that rum. <laughs> well, there's no there's no fresh water in there. They're drinking seawater, and uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, <laughs> through through a reed um, that. The, uh, the 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 introduction of honey also gives us a very interesting uh, singular moment in the Bond franchise, which is it's the only time James Bond sings on screen. Yeah, I was. Uh, he sings underneath the mango tree. Yeah, I, I, well, of course, it's that song that we've heard throughout the entire which, movie. In this world, I think might be the only song that exists because <laughs> it's sung at the it's sung at the at the club. Bond puts it on the record player at one point, and then she comes out of the ocean singing it, and he sings it back to her. Um, there's this really funny anecdote where Ursula Andress says that she and uh, Connery were fighting over the turntable that they had on set because they were both trying to learn their lines of the song. Uh-huh. I'm like, they didn't sing the whole song. Like, right. A line. <laughs> yeah. But it is, there is something kind of jarring to, to see Sean Connery go, you know, underneath the mango tree. <laughs> yeah. uh, but I mean, he's got a nice voice. He's got a he's got a sweet little voice, uh, and it doesn't put her at ease. Like d- guys, again, I think this might be a recurring thing through our show: is me k- telling people not to do the things James Bond does. If you see a lady <laughs> minding her own business, singing a song, don't go up and finish the song for her. Yeah, like let her collect her shells and be about be about let, her way. <laughs> let her leave her alone. Let her sell her shells. Uh, and avoid the dragon, not get tied up in a volcano lair. Um, the volcano by the way, lair. <laughs> Again, another another Austin Powers thing that I noticed. Here. Oh, sure, yeah. Oh, and the and the hazmat suits and like uh-huh. the, the the Nehru collars that all the villains wear. Um, the uh, yeah, they they escape breathing through the reeds. We get that. Uh, there's this great little moment where Bond comes up out of the water, takes a deep breath and just kind of smiles that it worked. Like he kind yeah. of looks back and forth like, you fucking believe that? <laughs> I just kept thinking about that scene at the end of the Disney's Robin Hood where they think yeah. Robin Hood's dead and he swims away and he's breathing through the reed. <laughs> yes. Which, do you think that would work? I think as a kid, I tried to do that. But of course, as a kid, <laughs> you're not thinking about, you know, how this actually works. Sure. I but, got a little the middle of it. Yeah. Little the middle, but she got much back. <laughs> But no, it, his whittling, it? his yeah. whittling only goes oh, the, for the top the and the bottom. Yeah. So like the whole yeah. middle of this reed of bamboo is just like, no, you're not breathing through that, bro. <laughs> no, no. And let alone getting three of them done for them. Uh, yeah. Yeah. But I, I do love that little moment where he, he kills the, he kills the guy there. She's kind of shocked by it. Mm-hmm. And then she wants to talk to him about her past. And one night he came up to my room. Well, you know. I scratched his face, and then, but he was stronger than I was. And what happened after that? I put a black widow spider underneath his mosquito net. A female, and they're the worst. It took him a whole week to die. Yeah. And she goes, did I do wrong? And I and he can't tell her no. He can't right. tell her she did. Like, I love that. I, I think that's a great exchange That's a that's much more mature than the other conversations he's had with women throughout the movie. Yeah. And it's uh, it's just a, there's a mutual respect there. And I think that is the closest we get 
too honey feeling like a character. Um, yeah. The thing about her character here is, is again, we were introduced to her almost three quarters of the way through the movie. Sure. And, you know, just happens that she has this weird backstory. She gets more screen time than Dr. No. <laughs> she does. She does. Yeah. Just case in point, she has to. She, she's going to be the girl that's that, that, that Bond's focused on throughout the rest of this movie, and yeah. she has this interesting backstory. Like, what are the chances of you yeah. uh, of you finding this particular person? Seems a little out of out of place, but I mean, we we are in a fictional world here. Um, right. But I I do like the chemistry her and and Connery have on screen. Yeah, I, um, I don't feel like she's given a ton to do, especially once we get into Doctor No's lair because she does pretty much just disappear. She gets drugged. Yeah, she gets drugged, then she gets to have some grapes, and then she gets like locked <laughs> up somewhere for the next like twenty minutes of the movie. But I gotta um, say, when they are captured. Are they captured by a, a person running a spa because they get right. gr- great service taken to their room, given food and drink. Now There's here's this, the thing. <laughs> yeah. If you were looking for someone who is up to evil and doing or up yeah. to no good and doing evil in the world. Yeah. Would you, <laughs> would you accept the coffee from them and drink Absolutely it right, right away? <laughs> no, I love. So yeah, I love that. Like, Ken Adam, the uh, the production designer, like had this concept of Doctor No, where he's just like essentially, and this is not a direct quote, but he's essentially like he's evil, but he can still be bougie. You know what I mean? <laughs> like this guy's got good taste. Um, so yeah, they're they're taken through decontamination. Uh, they have to trim Bond's fingernails so that they can lower the radiation <laughs> levels in his body, which I love. Um, and uh, they they get like uh, basically sent through a car wash. And the uh, they're, they're taken to these like opulent rooms where mm-hmm. I'm just like, fuck, I want to get kidnapped by Dr. No. Like that's a that looks like a great vacation. Yeah. And I got to say, Dr. No's lair. Yeah. Is amazing. I the love the design is incredible. It's I love beautiful. the fireplace. That fireplace is ginormous. Yeah. And that tree that's growing up through the between the two walls. Yes. I yeah, love that nice. shit, dude. It looks There's a lot so of really good. nice touches here. There's also <laughs> the insane magnified uh fish, fish tank, tank or like yeah. the cuz they 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 had so they couldn't afford to literally put like giant fish in an aquarium or whatever. Uh-huh. So they bought stock footage uh-huh. of fish, but the stock footage that they could afford were like goldfish sized. Mm-hmm. So they were like, okay. Uh, I love they that they that. go, they go through they the trouble to, of explaining why yeah, the fish are so it, big. <laughs> they had to put it through. They had to like reverse engineer that so they could get it to work. And so Dr. No is just like, it's a, it's a, of my own design. And he, my favorite, I love the, his introduction is him saying, One million dollars, Mr. Bond. You were wondering what it cost. As a matter of fact, I was. Which might as well be the director being like, oh, you wanted to know how much my movie costs? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you were admiring my aquarium. Yes. Quite impressive. A unique feat of engineering, if I may say so, I designed it myself. The glass is convex, ten inches thick, which accounts for the magnifying effect. Minnows pretending they're whales, just like you on this island, Doctor No. 
But, you know, just the, the glass is 10 feet thick, and therefore that is the reason why the magnification. Like, just the fact that he goes through so that funny. whole tangent of explaining it's it so had me cracking um, up, dude. Now, did that did that explanation make you laugh? Or there's Dr. No has a few different expository lines in the scene where they go to dinner together. Uh-huh. Um, he, so Bont, he says he won't shake hands because of a misfortune uh-huh. that's the only explanation we get for his metal hands yeah i was i was like what okay they're, they're gonna explain no they go through the nope. trouble of explaining to me this giant fish tank but nope they, yeah. they're, they're not gonna explain why he's got robotic hands <laughs> in the novel he had pincers like they were like hooks uh-huh. hook hands basically and in this one he yeah he's just got these like robot hands <laughs> yeah uh and then uh then he reveals to Bond that he works for Spectre. Missiles are only the first step to prove our power. Our power? With your disregard for human life, you must be working for the East. East, West, just points of the compass, each as stupid as the other. I'm a member of Spectre. Spectre? Spectre. Special executive for counterintelligence, terrorism, revenge, extortion. The four great cornerstones of power, headed by the greatest brains in the world. Correction. Criminal brains. <laughs> it's a little loaded. I mean, <laughs> you're pushing the limits there a little bit, I think. But oh, you think like put it because when when the first two letters of the acronym are part of one word, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, it is, and it's so funny because in the books, like the the villains were uh, were Smersh, which is like the the you know basically Russian counterintelligence. Uh-huh. Uh, it stands for Smersh Spionum, which translated as death to spies mm-hmm. um which was you know was real like it was a special like directorate in the ussr like and so they they kind of wanted there's a lot of things done in this movie to sort of move away to try to move away from real world politics and counterintelligence mm-hmm. agencies right um so that's why they they created specter um to to essentially uh, say like, oh no, no, we're not, we're not commenting on any, you know, real, uh, you know, persons living or dead. Like, right, so right. it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting move because it, it does, it also kind of gives it a very comic booky pulp feel to have yeah. this absurd name. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was another thing I, I was it. surprised by that I was seeing for the first time in this movie. Like I, again, Bond because has never heard of Spectre, right? And they yeah. introduced Spectre so late in the Bond films. And I would imagine, you know, since the Craig movies are not direct, you know, uh, remakes of older movies, it's it's a reboot of the franchise, but they're still paying homage to those stories. Sure. So I was kind of under the impression that, you know, maybe Spectre is something that comes along later. But no, like they yeah. they, they throw that into the mix the right here. And we'll in a few movies, we will get into the uh tricky legal history of specter which is why they vanished for years oh okay movies uh and and which will eventually lead us to uh, a very odd off-brand connery bond movie Mm. uh there's there's a whole insane story about specter from a real life standpoint Mm -hmm. um but as we know it here this is just some group that Dr. No works for that Mm -hmm. doesn't really have anything to do with the plot other than uh, he explains that uh, he's a genius. 
He's mm-hmm. a nuclear genius. No one wants to work with him. The Chinese won't work with him. He's on the run from the Chinese Tong that he betrayed because he stole. It, he stole money to finance his his stuff from them or something like that. Like yeah, the, the, then, the plot here is a bit convoluted, and I was having a little trouble understanding. Even after watching a, it three times, I was like, "Big old info dump." Yeah. yeah, like I was like, "What exactly is his plan here?" Like it's not his plan is super to clear. Embarrass them. Like he he literally. <laughs> He might as well be Tim Robinson and I think you should leave where he just goes to NASA and says, I'm going to embarrass you at this party. Like his plan <laughs> is uh, you guys like America won't let me build their rockets. Well, I'm going to make their rockets look like shit by shooting a radio beam at them. Yeah. Um, that to, to, to basically interfere with their launches. Um, and it's, you know, I, again, I love, I love phrases, phrases like radio beam in my mm-hmm. motion pictures. Like there's just <laughs> something very old timey science fiction about it that I love. Yeah. Um, and, and you know, the, the next several sequences is, is basically like we get bond escaping from his cell by smacking it with a shoe. Cause it's like grounded or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's interesting to see a movie from this time period you know, spending time in ventilation ducts. Like, yeah. I feel like that's oh, that's probably still, something new. We're not, nah, we're still doing well. I mean, we're doing that now. I think maybe uh, back then, I don't know how common it would have been, but that that's is a trope. I mean. Yeah. I mean, that yeah. is a trope we use now to the fullest extent. And it's yeah. ridiculous how much we use it now. How often, <laughs> but it, and he, it, and we follow him for a while. And then we get, uh, I, I think the scene where the movie really grinds to a halt, and I mean, even counting all the stuff with the uh, you know, checking into a hotel and shit, mm-hmm. I I think the scene where the movie dies for like 10 minutes is just watching dudes pulling levers. Yeah. Uh, with no concept of what each thing does. Mm-hmm. It's just Dr. No saying, now you turn a lever. Okay, yeah. it's your turn. Tell me what your readings are. Okay, now you flip that switch don't go into danger (laughs) (laughs) and then how you know when when bond decides he's going to sabotage all of it is like how how does bond know what to do to sabotage this like right it's so convoluted man well he well it helps because there is a there is a sign above the lever that says danger point and so and so he fucking does it and another guy goes hang on a second so bond kills him yeah (laughs) and i think I think Dr. No's death is pretty hardcore uh, where he, he gets boiled alive and he can't grab onto the scaffolding because of his hands. Well, on my second watch, I was like, I kind of took a little issue with that because we have this whole (laughs) dinner scene of him with bond, like people who cross me, and he crushes that that whatever the yeah. gold uh, uh little chalice yeah thing he's got on the table and yeah. he, it's like okay so those those robot hands he's got have got some some grip to him but yeah. he he couldn't you know enforce that grip to hold on to the right. ladder to pull himself out of this boiling water i was like this is a <laughs> sure. little silly but i mean well, i'll take I mean, it you know what it brings us back to our batman 89 conversation did batman mean to hold on to jack napier or was he just ready to let go did dr no just say you know what fuck it <laughs> i'm already too hot <laughs> he sabotaged my life work i'm just gonna sit here and right. boil like an egg <laughs> there's also um, there's an interesting another bit of interesting set design in, in Doctor No's lair is that they did they made a reproduction 
of a stolen Goya painting, mm-hmm. uh, which that's the one that Bond kind of does a double take at. Like yeah. British audiences knew that this was like go- missing. Right. And so like, it was like, it was a huge, it got a huge laugh when it first came out. Um, <laughs> And I just love that, like, Dr. No is just this G who, like, puts stolen artwork on display and mm-hmm. has this big old fish tank mirror. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, can't, uh, he fucking burns to death. Like, it's it's wild. And then we we get Bond kind of running around screaming at different people, tell me where the girl is. Yeah, it's and like. Extra, extra is just kind of trying to sidle past him. Like, there's one lady, there's one lady who's, like, trying to get past Bond while he's, like, interrogating someone. And she just kind of goes, like yeah she just doesn't <laughs> like, look only only two people hurried. saw only two people saw these guys come into this lair and, and put <laughs> yeah. them in the, but he's asking everyone along the way where's the girl i came in with i don't even know who the fuck you she are goes, man one that, that one lady goes uh room 12 room goes, t- show me and she has to like take him she's like Ugh. like she looks non <laughs> she's not happy to have to like go out of her way um i think one thing that we do miss from this finale that is in the book is bond fights a giant squid uh <laughs> and and dr no doesn't die in the atomic pile he's killed with um his his um lair is hidden in like a guano mine uh-huh. and he's killed he's he's drowned in guano like that's how he dies wow. like he has like just tons of shit just dropped onto him and that's how he dies. it's like a very humiliating death but the producers were like audiences are not going to be able to tell that that is a joke like yeah. we have to right. burn him <laughs> uh there's some cuts in the this last little section of the movie that i that yeah. I noticed um one of my favorites is with honey uh when they're getting ready to go to dinner with dr no yeah she's getting dressed and she's topless and it cuts away from her to bond for a second then as soon as it cuts back she's got her shirt on Oh was, yeah, it's the camera. The camera follows him where he's just like, "Can I uh, do I put it on like this?" You know, like yeah. yeah, it does. It does. They're like, "Give us your shirt," and he goes, "Okay, I'll come over here." Yeah. Um. They they do some really clever things to to hot, which also feels very much like an Austin Powers gag. Yeah. In a, in a way. Yeah. And even the outfit she's got on, or the like the the variety of outfits they have in the closet for her, sure. looks like anything they would have put on an Austin Powers girl. It is interesting that they're like, we should give them a week's worth of clothes to choose from. Yeah. And I, I love the, the the little outfit they put on Bond. I was like, shit, I'd yeah. wear that. It's a great outfit. I also love his um, his remark of uh, when she says, "How can you eat at a time like this?" And he goes, "Well, I'm hungry." Like, and that's that is the most Ian Fleming Bond yeah. moment. And the there's so many scenes in the Fleming books where Bond just describes what he's eating. Like he's <laughs> like he's just like, so I I pulled into the hotel. I ordered a carafe of coffee. Uh, uh, scrambled eggs, bacon bits, and <laughs> <laughs> brown bread. Oh, he does it. He he takes it even a step further. She she asks him why he's eating at a time like this, and he goes, "Well, I'm hungry, and I don't know when I'm gonna ever eat again." So. <laughs> yeah, she says, "What should we do?" And he says, "Have some breakfast." Like the way he says breakfast is my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> but uh, I noticed that there is a blatant stunt double in the tunnel when he's uh climbing Mm -hmm. down out of his room uh there's There's also also when he jumps off of the pier yeah into the into the escape boat it's definitely not 
not Sean Connery. And of course, there's a lot of the driving scenes where you can t- absolutely tell it's not Sean Connery. Oh, yeah. Um, You'll get used to that for sure. There is one scene in particular that I found. I mean, this is probably just the way they had to edit back then. Yeah. But there is a there is a scene where he's holding a book or handing a book to someone or something. And there is a there is a cut in the film. It just because I do a lot of editing now, I kind of see stuff <laughs> sure. like that. Yeah, and uh, I had to rewind it a couple of times. I was like, "Am I just seeing things, or did this happen?" And I'm pretty sure there's a blatant cut in a scene that I was like, "Oh, that that doesn't look very good." But um, but those are the. I mean, that's really the gist of what I I noticed here is like there's yeah. some fun cutting of the camera, uh, yeah. blatant, you know, obvious that they never intended on this to be saw a scene in high definition. So therefore, sure. we're seeing a lot of things we weren't supposed to see. Sure. Um, I think there's even a spot where where Bond is fighting someone in Doctor Knows Lair at the end, where you can see like a a, a, a wire attached to him, like something to prevent him from falling or something. I don't oh, know. I'm, okay. But, you know, just little things like that. But yeah. I, I can forgive all of that stuff just because that was the time. I mean, they had to make movies the way they had to make movies back then. So Right, right. No one could have ever, you know, uh, they could have never known back then that we'd be watching movies where we could actually count the follicles of hair on people's five o'clock shadow on TV. So, <laughs> <laughs> sure. But, yeah, I mean, this and this movie ends pretty abruptly. I mean, just, you know. Uh, we took Bond, out Dr. No, Bond that's that. A, Bond's in a little dinghy. He runs out of fuel. And uh, the cavalry quite literally arrives. Uh, yeah. With, uh, with uh, Felix Leiter showing up to tow him home. And Bond gets a little smooch in. And the movie ends. And, the, you know, I thought it was pretty smart the way they set that up, too. Because when he and uh, Quarrel initially go out there with Felix... They, they yeah. switch boats. They say they can't use the motorized boat to get to Crab, Crab mm-hmm. Key. And, yeah, I mean, I, by that time, when they're out in the, in the water, I had forgotten that Felix was supposed to meet back up with them and get yeah. them. So. It's, a, it's, a fun, it's a fun reveal, and it feels like a very, like, yeah moment. Like, it's yeah. a very crowd-pleasing moment, especially because Jack Lord looks so fucking cool when he's, like, standing <laughs> on the boat with his legs, like, spread out, st- with just, like, with the megaphone. Like, he just looks cool. <laughs> I want to see that that death metal band, but with his same like outfit. <laughs> like, where he's just... Well, I mean, that's pretty much the end of this one. I yeah. What's your final thoughts on Doctor No? This was enjoyable. It it was. <laughs> yeah, I had some pacing problems. Like sure. usually, like I said, like I kind of touched on in the beginning, older movies uh, with the pacing and usually mm-hmm. the dialogue. Dialogue in older films really kind of tends to drag movies down for me. Okay. Um, but this one was pretty good. I can hang with this one. Uh, I had, I had just watched the killing, uh, Stanley mm-hmm. Kubrick's the killing not too sure. long ago. And that was a movie that sort of changed my whole perspective on older films because yeah. usually where I have problems with dialogue and dialogue being too slow or them over explaining things or just the, the, the being very monotone. Me, yeah. You know, uh, in, in Kubrick's movie, in The Killing, the, the dialogue in that movie is snappy and yep. it's very like modernized in a way. And the even performances though... are honest and, and grounded. I think what you run into with a lot of older films is that there's still a lot of presentational acting as well. Like mm-hmm. a lot of a lot of uh, stage actors doing film work, you right. know, or, or people giving performances for a stage on film. And I, I think the killing is a great example of this. Like there are, there are moments, there are films from that time period where uh, 
there are people pushing outside the boundaries of that and trying to find some realism there. And I think that there are a few performances in Dr. No that, that kind of fit that template as well, where they're still doing, you know, goofy uh, crowd pleasing popcorn, you know, mm-hmm. action, but there, there are moments that I think that interrogation scene is a great example of just like a, a very real performance, which I think is why that scene stands out so much yeah. because it doesn't, it feels like the stakes are real and the, the death is real and the, yeah. the danger is there. The only thing I took a little issue with mm-hmm. in that scene is the shot of that scene is, is very wide. So you're getting a good view of the room as this conversation, yeah. as this interrogation is happening. Sure. And it's pretty obvious that he's sliding the comforter over to get his gun. But, and, and, yeah. and, and the main reason I took issue with that, it was like, Bond could see that. Like I, I can see that. There's no way Bond doesn't see that. But right. it's turned around in the fact that Bond is watching every move he's making, even though yes. he kind of, you know, he's turning around. He's like he, know, he is so precise and dialed into him yeah. that he he lets him think that he's about to get that gun, but no, he doesn't. So right. whereas I was about to have a very negative view of that scene, that turned it around when he just fires on it. You know, it's and, he, and he yeah. says Smith and Wesson, you've used your six. Like that was six. Yeah. It's, it's it's cold, and I I really like that scene a lot now. Yeah, and it feels it feels very of the books, and it feels very uh, it feels modern. It feels like a modern scene. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, I wouldn't I I wouldn't think twice if that that exact scene was in uh, one of the Craig movies. Yeah, I mean that seems like a line Daniel Craig would deliver with one hundred percent. Yeah, like. So, um, but overall, I mean, I enjoyed watching this. I mean, yeah. if I, if I didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't have watched it multiple times, uh, just <laughs> sure. to, to make sure I got everything I needed on it. So, um, I'm, I'm excited to keep, keep going from this point. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, like I said, sixties movies are going to be difficult for, especially, sure. you know, younger people or people who haven't watched a lot of older movies, but sure. I'm part of that crowd too. And I'm in my forties. So, um, I would say. Give Dr. No a shot. If you've never watched Dr. No, it's worth watching to kind of get your, to dip your toe into the bond, the bond yeah. pool. <laughs> I definitely, <laughs> I definitely agree. Like, I think it is a, it's a formative film. It's a, you know, it, it's, it's, it's worth watching just to see how quickly it establishes the formula that would work. I mean, of course, after this movie came out, of course, Eon Productions is like, oh God, we have, we have a hit like mm-hmm. this is we have to do more of these and and as close to this as possible <laughs> and yeah. and so i i think that it in for better or worse it establishes a template that it that is both improved upon and also uh uh broken apart in interesting ways in yeah. future films um so i, mean, that, I i'm really looking forward to the to the next one to, yeah to i mean that's what that's what's so interesting here for me is just how like you said this is pretty much a cut and dry uh uh plot not yeah. a whole lot of crazy stuff going on here where I'm sure some of these movies will get super convoluted. Yeah, and it's, uh, but it's a good foundation for sure. Yeah. And, it, and it does. It lays the groundwork for where we can see where they're going to bring in all these cool little gadgets. We're going to mm-hmm. get these cars that are going to come up. And, you know, I can definitely see where something like this could end up having a lot of ups and downs because there's a lot of room here to improve or or degrade. Or take the wrong messages, the wrong yeah. lessons. Yeah, yeah, of course. And we'll see that... It with just within the next four movies, I, I, I am, yeah, and and they started, they started knocking these out quick. Uh, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm very excited to to go on this journey with you, Josh. This was, I feel yeah. like this was, this was a test. This was a real test, and so I'm, <laughs> I'm very happy uh, to 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 see that you enjoyed it. Yeah. Um. 
Because next month, we are watching From Russia with Love. From Russia with Love. And if you had to guess, <laughs> what's that movie about? It's, uh, I'm going to say, I think uh-huh. Spe- Spectre is going to be unhappy that James Bond has foiled one of their plans. Okay. And I think they're going to hire a Russian operative to get freaky with him while they reestablish their <laughs> their goals and target MI6. That would be my guess at this point. I am... I am not going to say anything. I am so excited. <laughs> I, I think you're. I think you're falling into the spell of these movies, man. Um, I'm very, very excited to to watch that with you next time. And again, if you if you haven't listened to our introductory episode, I yeah. am purposefully not researching the movies before yeah. I watch them. I don't know anything. No plots. No nothing. What you're getting from me right now is legit. What I think is going to happen in this next movie. Yeah, man. So. We'll see what happens from here. But anything else we want to talk about in Dr. No? Any particular scenes or uh, phrases or anything of that nature that we missed as we I, were talking about this one? Man, I feel like I feel pretty good. Uh, I know that next next time we'll uh, we'll have a legitimate theme song. So we'll be able to uh, to discuss right. that in depth and uh, and, uh, you know, maybe start to form a few few extra segments of our own. But for right okay. now, I feel like we're laying a good good foundation. Just like this is the Dr. No of podcasts episodes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Like Nathan said, next month we will be back with From Russia with Love. And, yeah. uh, and until then, it's been a nice talking to you, Mr. Nathan. <laughs> you as well, Josh. Stay shaken. Thank you.